to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Well, I'm still in the Seattle area. I'm going to be making my way back to the Mojave pretty soon. And one thing that I have enjoyed in the time that I've spent here is watching the eagles. It's pretty common to see them over the Sound or Lake Washington, which is near where I'm staying. And this has motivated me to look into some of the local mythologies about eagles. So the story I want to tell you today is called The Boy Who Fed Eagles. And my telling is based on a version by Marielle Beck that I found in her book titled Heroes and Heroines, Klingit Haida Legends. Beck got a master's degree in classics from Stanford back in the 20s and married a third-generation Alaskan and moved to southeastern Alaska. She had been living there for almost 40 years when she wrote this book, which is the first of three that she wrote about the local culture. You can find versions of this story in other cultures around the world, and sometimes it's a different animal, but it's often an eagle in the stories told by the native people of North America. So now I invite you to take a breath, relax, and listen to the story. Notice the details that capture your attention. This is your way into the story right now. The Boy Who Fed Eagles There was in days past a boy, smaller than the rest, who was the member of a fishing community that lived on the banks of the Sound. The people lived off the land, and particularly the ocean. It was springtime. The rains were warmer, and the earth was green. And at that time, all of the men of the village, and most of the boys, too, were going out fishing in canoes on the sea. This was very hard work. And the fishing day often lasted 12 or 15 hours, for the days were long. This boy, however, did not go out with the others. Aren't you coming along? his older cousins asked him. No, not this time, he said. I'll just fish the streams. Well, <laughs> Of course, you would rather catch the tired fish coming back to the streams. You're not strong enough for man's work, his cousin said. 
They gave him a hard time about his size and his unwillingness to go out in the canoes. There was no point to him trying to defend himself. They always ended up making fun of him. He tried. Like his cousins, he sat in the icy water and exercised every day. He did the things that were designed to make a boy into a large and powerful man. But despite all of this, he didn't grow much. The fishing canoes were all lined up on the beach, each one carved from a single cedar log, and their boughs were painted with the emblems of each of the clan houses. He could see beaver, salmon, halibut, but no eagle. The eagle was the crest animal of his mother's clan, And like his cousins, he was being trained by his uncle to be the clan leader someday. It was a custom for a boy to be trained by his mother's brother. But he was particularly lucky in this case because his uncle was the chief of the village. He was the richest and most powerful man. And his uncle was trying to prepare him for assuming this role. He told him to take the icy baths and to exercise and to honor the eagle, to act in a way to become worthy of spirit powers, and, of course, to learn how to hunt and fish well so that he could gain the respect of the people and become a leader. The young boy had taken all of his uncle's advice and done everything that he said, but he was not yet ready to go out into the canoes and fish. He had to feed the eagles that came regularly onto a spit of land that is a long bar of sand and rock that hooked out into the sea and formed one side of the bay in front of the village. The eagles usually gathered at the far end of the bay around noon, and that's when the boy took fish out to them. One of his older aunts encouraged him to do this. The eagle is our crest animal, she told him. People do not honor eagles anymore the way that they should. In the old days, we always left a part of our catch for them. But your cousins just laugh at me when I tell them this. They say that the eagles can catch their own fish. His aunt and the boy sometimes watched the eagles and admired them for their strength. They fly so high and glide so easily through the air. They look proud. You must be like the eagle, she told him, and seek the eagle's spirit. Honor them. Well, his aunt didn't have to convince him. He was always intrigued by the eagles. They were so graceful in the air and so dignified on land. Once they had actually landed, that is, 
they were always a little bit clumsy landing. They would kind of waver and teeter when they approached the ground and come down with a thump, opening their wings to balance themselves. They looked a little rumpled in those first few seconds, but once they got control of themselves, they sat very tall and still. The boy was thinking about those things after the others left while he was fishing the stream. He caught quite a few fish, and it was about time to feed the eagles. He took a small canoe down to the water, put the fish in it, and then rowed out towards the far end of the spit. As he paddled, he looked down into the water, and he could see jellyfish floating and other small fish swimming. He pulled the canoe up onto the beach. There were chipmunks chattering in the trees. Ravens were rummaging around on the beach for food, and the boy sat down to wait for the eagles. In a little while, he saw one circling its way toward the ground, and it was joined by another and then another, and they came down in a descending spiral, landed, staggered a little bit, and then found rocks to perch on. They sat very tall and stared straight ahead. The boy stayed very still and kept his distance from the big birds. The nearest one turned towards him and seemed to glare at him with its fierce eyes, and the boy stared back. These eyes seemed to just pierce right through him, and the boy wondered if the eagle knew that he was the one who'd been feeding him. He kept looking into the bird's eyes, almost hypnotized. Give me your eagle spirit, he found himself saying. The huge bird continued to stare at him, and the boy started to move slowly away and gently scattered the salmon on the beach. He got into the canoe. The eagles didn't move until he was out on the water and on his way home. The humpback whale, which is what the people were hunting right now, continued to be plentiful, so every day the chief ordered all the villagers to go out to the sea to fish. And everyone obeyed this order except for the boy. The others were bringing in boatloads of fish from the sea, and the women were working hard cleaning and curing it, And in the meantime, the boy was still fishing here and there in the streams, loading up his catch and taking it out to the spit for the eagles. As far as the women knew, this boy wasn't catching any fish at all, for he didn't bring them any. It's no use trying to even explain it to him, he thought, and so he didn't try. One evening... The chief, his uncle, sat him down and said, Why do you keep refusing to go out and fish with the men? 
you're really embarrassing me. I'm sorry, uncle, he said. I really don't want to cause any trouble, but I have to feed the eagles. Well, you can feed them when this humpback run is over and all of our seasonal fishing is done. You've been finding food for those birds for a while, and they know how to hunt for themselves. I know you're listening to your aunt's stories about the past and eagles, but you need to be coming out with the men now. Well, the boy listened to his uncle, but he continued to spear salmon in the streams and take it out to the eagles that circled the spit every day. He loved to sit out there and watch them soar and glide and then come in for their clumsy landings, regain their dignity. Sometimes the ravens would squawk and dive at him or try and kind of tease the eagles, especially if they had an eaglet in a nest high up in a tree. But the adult eagles could scare pretty much anything away with a stern look. They didn't let the chattering of the ravens bother them for long. And like them, he didn't let the village chatter about his supposed laziness bother him. The summer wore on. The eagles grew fat and began to drop their feathers, and the boy saved some of the brighter, fuller ones to wear in his hair, hoping that they would bring him eagle power. The nobility of the eagle and its sharp vision are good qualities for a leader. And then it was winter. It was winter, and food was scarce. The young man was often hungry, for his uncle, the chief, had told the other heads of the household not to feed him. I mean, he didn't contribute anything when they were out there in those canoes on the sea. The other said to him, why don't you go to the eagles for food? You should have been storing that salmon instead of feeding it to them. And only his oldest aunt would slip him something to eat at night when nobody else was around. You paid homage to the eagle, she said. Maybe we are short of food because the rest have not properly honored him. By March... There was no dried fish left. The chief called everyone together and said, We're going to have to leave earlier than usual for the Yulakan runs. It's still light. There aren't a lot of those fish out there yet, but maybe we can catch enough to last us until our main fishing season begins. Yulakan were caught mainly for their oil. It was used like butter or cheese or traded away for other things the people needed. It wasn't the best food, but it was something to eat. 
and the people got ready to move to follow the fish. They took all of their tools and nets. The young man wasn't present at this meeting, and the chief told the people, My nephew, who has not fished with us, is not to know that we're going. And you, leaders of the canoes, none of you is allowed to let him into your canoe. We're leaving him and the old woman who's been feeding him behind. When they were ready to leave, he ordered that they put out all of the fires and take all of the food. But the old woman managed to hide a coal ember in a clamshell and to save out a little bit of dried fish. The young man continued to go out to the spit to visit the eagles and to look for clams and mussels. There were not any salmon in the streams now. He gathered wood from the beach or the woods behind the houses for fire, and they were able to get along until one night he was tossing and turning He'd gone to bed hungrier than usual and woke up suddenly from a fitful sleep to what sounded like the screech of an eagle. The young man got up and slipped out of the house and headed for the point. The sky was gray. It was early dawn. The rain was coming down. Soon things will be able to grow, he said. He'd already been able to kill a few small animals who were out in the early spring. And when he got near to the point, he thought he saw something out on the beach. The young man picked his way out over the slippery rocks and found a salmon. How did this get here, he wondered. I, I guess maybe it drifted in. And he quickly picked it up and took it back to the house to his aunt. Well, it hasn't been on the beach long, she said. It's still fresh and firm. She cleaned it and boned it and set it on the coals to cook. And they ate well that day and had enough left over for several more meals. He put the head and the bones and the fins out for the eagles. The next morning, he again woke to the eagle's call. When he went out to the spit, he found another salmon, this time with an eagle's claw mark on it. Look at the eagle sign on this fish, he said to his aunt. The eagles must be helping us. That's very strange, she said. Let us sing the eagle's song while we clean it. The song was one that she'd learned from her grandmother. In the following days, many different gifts from the sea appeared, always announced by the eagle's call. And the young man was sure now that the eagles were helping them. He was able to carry the salmon and the larger halibut up to the house, but when bigger fish and sea lion and whales started appearing, he had to rig up a pulley. He made a rope out of cedar bark and looped it around the branch of a tree and used the tide to help him float these huge fish onto the beach. Now the young man and his aunt spent 
long, long days cleaning and boning and curing fish and getting oil from the seas and the whale. They filled all the storage boxes and baskets that were in their house. And then they started going around and getting the boxes and baskets out of their neighbors' homes until all of them in the whole village were completely filled. It had been two months now since the people had left for the Yulakan runs, and they hadn't had very good luck. One evening, the chief gathered them together and said, Our food supply is low, and if we don't find more, we're going to starve. Hmm. One of the cousins said, I wonder whether the boy and the old woman are still alive in the village. Maybe they found some food. It's too early for salmon yet, the chief said, but I can send some servants to see what things are like there because we can't stay here. The servants went, and the boy recognized his uncle's canoes and went out to welcome them. He was kind to them and offered them a fine dinner of many kinds of seafood. Where did you get all of this? they asked him. Oh, we've been lucky, was all he said, and he showed them all the boxes and baskets of food that they preserved. He gave them a good breakfast the following morning before they left, and he said, Eat well, but don't take any food back with you, and don't tell anyone about the food you've seen here. They all promised to keep quiet about that. But one of the women hid a piece of seal meat to take back to her daughter. Her mother was afraid that she was going to starve to death. When they got back to their camp, she waited until it was dark to feed her child the meat, but it got caught in her throat, and her daughter began to choke. What's that baby's trouble? asked the chief's wife. Oh, it's just coughing, it's just coughing, said the mother. She was afraid to tell the truth, but the chief's wife insisted on sticking her finger down the child's throat, and she pulled out the meat. The chief's wife looked at what she'd pulled out and said, Wait a minute, this is dried meat. Where did you get it? We haven't had any dried fish or meat for some time. That kind of treachery, hiding food from everyone else, was punished by death. So now the servants told the others about the young man's good fortune. He served us a wonderful meal of salmon and seal and halibut and whale, they said. Your nephew, the one we left behind, has plenty to eat. In fact, there are four large whales out on the shore. How could he have caught so much seafood so early in the season, the chief thought. He must have some spirit powers. Let's go back to our winter home, said his wife. Oh, I can't do that, said the chief. Beg of a mere boy? But we're going to starve to death, his wife answered. 
All the people stood around with hungry, sad faces, and he realized he was going to have to humble himself. He was going to have to take them back and apologize to his nephew. I know it's going to be hard for you to do. You're the chief, she said, but we are going to starve here without food, husband. The chief had everybody pack their belongings up and load up the boats. Then he called his two youngest daughters to him. Put on your finest clothes and jewelry and make yourself look your absolute best. Your cousin is wealthy now and he's going to want to choose a wife. And since ours is the most honored house, he's going to want to choose one of you. And you are the prettiest. The girls were part of the Raven clan like their mother, so it was proper for the young man who was an eagle to marry one of them. And the girls were psyched at the prospect of being the chief's wife. Well, it didn't take them long to load up the canoes and for the people to get Home, and when they got to the bay, they saw fish scraps and grease floating on the water. From all the work the young man and the aunt had been doing with all these plentiful large fish, the people were so hungry, they scooped these scraps up from the water. The chief and his family kept their dignity for a little while, But when they watched the others eating, finally they couldn't wait and they started scooping up the grease and scraps too. Only the oldest daughter, who was not so pretty and had not dressed herself up in fancy clothes, sat quietly in the boat, waiting until the young man offered them some food. When he saw the boats approaching, he went out to meet them, and even though they had been cruel to him, he was glad to see them all and welcomed them. Welcome home, uncle. Thank you, nephew, said the chief. We're glad to be home. We're happy you've had good fortune, and I beg your forgiveness for deserting you. You're forgiven. I don't hold a grudge. The eagles have been good to me, said the young man, and I've received the eagle spirit. I want to use it for the good of the village. All of the houses are filled with storage boxes and baskets of food. You're welcome to the food, but you must pay for it. We will give all of our wealth in exchange for the food in our houses, the chief replied. They brought the canoes ashore. They got dinner together and had a feast, and the young man gave each guest a package of food. He gave one of the whales to each of his uncles, and the next morning all of the people came bearing gifts in exchange for the food that was in their houses. They brought him canoes and abalone shells and sea otter skins, and the boy became very wealthy and was made chief of the village. It's time for you to choose a bride, 
the old chief said to his nephew. You have probably noticed my two pretty daughters. Oh, I have, he said, and they are very pretty. He'd looked at them longingly in days past, but now he was the chief, and he looked at the older daughter with her noble bearing and dignity. She was the one who hadn't scooped any food from the bay. I think I'd like this daughter to be my wife, he said. The crowd was surprised, but everyone was happy. I also want to give a special place of honor in my house to the aunt who saved my life, the new chief said. The young man, now chief, continued to honor the eagle for as long as he lived, and they continued to provide him with salmon, halibut, seals, sea lions, and whales. He took good care of the people, and he became wealthier each year. He was chief until he died. This is a familiar story in many ways about the underdog or the one who seems less than, but who actually has an important ability or understanding. And with a little bit of support and a lot of courage or conviction, persists and brings something valuable to the community. As you were listening, you probably knew that he was going to be rewarded, that the eagles were going to help him. We know deep in our bones about the truth of this exchange. Even today, in a culture that pretends otherwise, where we're supposed to get as much as you can for yourself at the expense of another, without even recognizing the other sometimes, whether that's other people, creatures, the earth herself, where greediness and this fantasy of being not only self-made, but self-sufficient, self-something, is lauded as business acumen or shrewdness or skill. In the tribe, we don't see this fantasy of self-sufficiency. Their interdependencies understood, they all have to contribute and cooperate, fish together. And yet, the boy's actions with the eagle are not respected or understood with the exception of his one elderly aunt. The boy's treated appropriately from one perspective. I mean, they leave him behind because the life of the people depends on their working together. But they're wrong because they've forgotten the larger web of relationship and interdependency and how that works. The boy is in contact with something larger, something beyond the cooperation between people. And that's the reciprocity that underlies all of our relationships on this earth. The exchange of life energy between all beings, not just humans collectively harvesting what's here, 
but giving back to what supports us. And there's tremendous abundance found in this. In feeding the eagles, the boy is tending to that foundation, acknowledging the mutual dependence of all of us who eat on everyone and everything else that eats and will ultimately be eaten. might remind you of another story I've told on this program about the young woman and the buffalo who agree to die if she marries them and the ritual exchange of prayers and songs that results. Prayers and songs that renew the connection and reaffirm this reciprocity that sustains all life. Now, I really started thinking about this because the moment in the story that struck me is when the boy, he's a young man now, tells the hungry people they can have food, but they have to pay for it. I was surprised because the people are in desperate need of food, and now he has plenty of it, more than he needs. And I realized there that I had a blind spot about this reciprocity. This story reminds us there has to be an exchange. And it also shows us, showed me, that there's a dignity in this. Dignity in exchange. And dignity as a value is important because it's essential to self-respect. I wonder about the connection between the consuming and taking, the greedy taking of mainstream Western culture, the sickness of that, and the way that we debase ourselves through it. It's easy to recognize interdependency and reciprocity, the need for exchange when it comes to consciousness. And it's something that we can each do. It's as simple as as saying a few words over your meals and expressing gratitude and also blessing on those who've ended up on your plate. Reconnect to the web that sustains you. Pass it on and deepen your respect for value that others bring into your life. And it will deepen your awareness of your own value. That's it for me. Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. And, yes, if you're finding something of value here, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to everything that I'm creating here, past, present, and future and you'll help ensure that there is a future for Myth in the Mojave. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making, and keep the mystery in your life alive.